Welcome to Everyday Therapist. I'm Rich from the UK. And I'm Cody from the United States. Before we jump in, we just want to say that this podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice. That sounds, um, that sounds like it relates pretty well to, to what Rich and I are doing here. Yeah, I, I love the title, Everyday Therapist. So. <laughs> All right. That's that's awesome. Well, hey, I've I've hit record at this point, so um, we're we're live. <laughs> um, I didn't surprise. No, I, I saw the um, countdown. <laughs> all right, good. Well, um, I'll just I'll just jump in real quick. Um, uh, we have uh, we have uh, Dwayne Domino uh, on on the podcast today. Uh, Dwayne, this is the first time that you and I have ever met, and so right. I just. Maybe I'll just kind of talk about how this how this came to be. Um, my wife and you worked at a um, local airline, or I guess a national airline, Correct. together. And um, you, I, I'm guessing you guys probably didn't even meet in person. Probably just came across paths, trading schedules, and things. Probably, I have no idea to be honest with you. <laughs> It was just some just some creepy person on your on your Facebook page at some point. No, I imagine. It's funny. Her name was very familiar. I feel like I know her, but which means we probably interacted <laughs> a lot, probably online or through the trades, or I, I don't know. I, I remember it's a friendly name, right? <laughs> so, so which means we probably yeah. had some good experiences together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she she had noticed a few of your posts had had to do with therapy based mm-hmm. and different things that you were doing, and you had mentioned that you're you're going um, for your your PhD in in marriage and family counseling. Right. Right. Okay. And so she asked, she reached out to, or she asked me, I guess she had to reach out. We're probably just sitting on the couch together at this point. And she just said, Hey, you know, here's this, here's this guy that I used to work with. And, um, this is what he's doing. He would probably be really interesting to have on your podcast. And so that's how we I said, yeah, reach out, see what he thinks. And that's how we connected. And, and so here we are. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And I'm also, uh, so I live, my understanding, do you live here in Utah? I do. I, I do live in Utah, in Utah County. Oh, okay. I'm in Utah County as well. So we're, we're just, we're just neighbors then. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on the West side of the lake. So in Saratoga. So I don't know if, uh, how close you are. You live in Saratoga? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I live in Saratoga Springs also. Well, if, if you look out the window, you'll probably see. Hey. <laughs> yeah. did, you, did you see me walking my dog in the snow today? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I have a first question for Dwayne. Sure. Is your, is your second name Domino or is it Domino? It's Domino. It's Domino. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> which, which is... Totally fine that you get to say Domino, but when you go into Domino's Pizza and you order the pizza, they ask me if my last name is Domino. I'm like, (laughs) you can't punch me because I don't live in Saratoga Springs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so great. yeah, Rich lives on the other side of the lake. It's just the the bigger the the bigger bigger lake. lake. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. A long way away. Nice. Yeah, for sure. So well, let me let me just jump in, Dwayne. Again, thanks for sure. thanks for coming on. It's it's really great to meet you. I'm excited to talk uh, with you. I have uh, a bunch of questions. Um, I sent you a few, but I've also gathered a few that I might put you on the spot if that's okay. If we just absolutely throughout conversation, fire away. So let me just let me just start with some basics. I mean, I I would love to get to know you more. Um, Can you kind of tell me like what what you're doing and in your journey to get to where you're at? 
Um, yeah, I, I, Cody, that's loaded, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I grew up California, right? So I'm originally a California kid. Um, my childhood is all California. Um, and then I left um, after I graduated from high school, went to Michigan. Um, that's where my wife is from. Uh, representing Michigan on the shirt, right? <laughs> Playing in the national. Let's take just a second. I know, I know, Rich. Rich isn't huge into sports, especially American football. But Michigan is playing tomorrow night in the national championship football game. Yes, college. Yeah, so, <laughs> yep, college. So, yeah. so Dwayne is here representing representing that. <laughs> yes. Um, so I spent time in there, uh, out there, met my, met my wife in, in Michigan. Um, we got married, been married 30 years. Um, we uh, moved to Utah the first, when we first got married, we made it about a year and a half in Utah and the culture it was just, we weren't prepared for the culture um, at first. And so we left after a year and a half, went to Florida for about a year and a half, and then back to Michigan for close to about 15, 16 years. Or so. Okay. Um, during that time, I be, I was a social worker and I worked for an after-school um, pregnancy prevention program in Michigan, um, in Flint, Michigan, to be specific. Um, hmm. And during that time, I discovered that the the challenges that were going on for these these young folks was more systemic than it was just there's something wrong with them. And so, I decided I wanted to become a therapist that dealt with systems and the marriage and family therapy program is a systemic program. And so we ended up out here in Utah because BYU was one of the programs that I applied for. It was highly rated. Um, and so we, we uh, joined, we I applied, got accepted, thought we were only going to be here for the two years for the master's program and moved back to Michigan by the time we moved out here, we had five kids and, I was, and none of them wanted to move back to Michigan. <laughs> so <laughs> we kind of got stuck here. And, and that was 2010 when we came out. And then we've been here since um, since 2010. And so we, we do love it now, right? So yeah. <laughs> it's not the same as it was in 94 when we moved out here. So I heard somebody say as a, as a quote, um, you don't choose places places choose you yes and i yes. like that because yeah. that makes because sometimes i wonder why i live where i live and i go well it chose me so that <laughs> rich i absolutely agree with that and we talk about that all the time <laughs> yeah yeah i um <clears throat> my wife and i have talked about moving quite a bit and we are also here in utah our whole family's here our kids are here and so i, I definitely understand when you get settled in somewhere mm -hmm. and then, then you're part of, of that community. Your kids are part of that community. And, and, and that's just where you make your life. Yep. Yep. And, and now my parents have moved out here um, from Florida. So they're out here with us. Um, but we don't really have, I have some cousins. My wife's side of the family have um, some cousins that live out this way. But for the most part, her family's in uh, Michigan. Um, my parents are here. I have a brother that's still in Florida. And um my cousins are all over the place in Carolina, California, New Orleans. My dad's from New Orleans, so that's kind okay. of family's back that way. Yeah. Um, I've got a question because, um, Dwayne, I don't know whether you've listened to our podcast before, but I'm not a therapist. I'm sort of training to be one. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm interested in what does a, a family therapist do? 
Yeah, good question. Um, one is just that we look at the systems, right? We look at, um, and I, I tell all my clients, I, I don't see people as problems to be solved. I see them as part of a system that's either work for them or not work for them. And I do see individuals quite a bit, right? So when they come in as, as a family, marriage and family therapist, I see the individual and I try to understand the system they come from. Um, and so we try to solve it from a systemic standpoint. If someone comes in with depression, what, what is it like for them to be part of a culture in Utah that snows and you have to walk your dog in it, right? <laughs> so if you're from a different culture or a different area, um, we're a religious area. What is it like to, if you're not part of that religious part of it? What's it like? So I have to um, understand the system they're part of. And so mm-hmm. I, I looked at my, when I got the questions, I looked at my, um, who's all in my uh, um, appointments for this next week. About I have about 35 appointments this next week, and probably half of them are couples. Um, another half are singles. So um, I, I do both, but I just look at it from a systemic approach. Yeah. So would it be fair to say, and I, I know Cody's got a lot of questions for you and I haven't seen these questions, so I don't want to take you too far off the track, but this idea of uh, this sort of systemic approach to it, mm-hmm. would that be, would that tie into, you know, to that idea that people don't have sort of necessarily have mental health challenges, they might have life problems, which cause them to have mental health challenges. Would, would it be something like that? Um. I would say yes and, right? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they do. There are definitely mental health challenges, right? But, and I think so oftentimes the life situations, the things they've been through ha- are causing the challenges. Um, but oftentimes they have mental health challenges without, right, going through anything. The, the, the chemical imbalance and different things like that that happen within the person, that may have nothing to do with what they experience. That's just what's going on within their brain. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we can we try to determine that we, we try to do the things that work right the things that are known to work um again I, i'm looking out my window and i see the well i see the lack of sun right now right um so it's the are they exercising are they getting good sleep are they doing the things that we know traditionally works um to improve depression um, and so we try to try to address the systemic issues that lead to depression. And if they're still having depression, hey, let's let's also talk to a doctor and everything else. Too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I can just ask another question, and then I'm like, sorry, Cody, I'm going to let you crack on with your questions. But Go ahead, Rich. <laughs> it, it, it's just like so. I, I hear what you're saying there, and do you find that the people that are coming to you to therapy, see maybe maybe I've got a naive opinion, not opinion, a naive uh, view of all this, because I assume that everybody knows that they should be getting enough sleep, Mm. unlike doing some exercise, write a journal, whatever, whatever, Mm. obviously (laughs) missed a few out. And and that's something that I do. I know Cody does it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that I'm continuously lecturing my children about. Mm. And and when there's any problems with, say, myself or family members, I'm always like, okay, are we getting enough sleep? Are we eating the right mm-hmm. thing? And, I, and then I kind of say, look, if we're doing all that and there's still a problem, then there's a problem. Right. So, so my question is really, is the, the people that are coming in to see you, are they aware of those, um, perhaps those basic self-care type of things? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think necessarily that they're aware. Um, and I, I, I'll think about it this way from a systemic problem. We are, are I live in a culture that uh, um, uh, rewards a hard work, right? We reward working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours. And when you hear someone talk about, man, you're a hard worker because you work 60 hours, right? And so that's part of their system that, hey, I can work six, 60 hours and I need less sleep um, because I'm being rewarded for um, the, the, the culture I live in rewards uh, working extra hours, right? It isn't necessarily the 40 hours a week, go home, leave work at work or whatever, even working from home and all the things we do. I, I don't know that it is necessarily the common sense anymore. Um, and and in fact, I'm not sure if I approach it from a common sense standpoint. It's like, okay, this is what works. This isn't working. Um, how do, what do we need to do to change it? And when they're coming to me, I just believe they just may not know. Right. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have some thoughts on that as well. Just working with a, a fair amount of clients who experience depression as well. And there is definitely a level of people who maybe don't know how those those basic um, life things like getting enough sleep, eating properly, getting outside, socializing with people, yep. they don't know that those things, how they're connected to mental health yep. all the time. And then even the ones that do, um, it's it there. A lot of people are in a weird place where those are the first things to go, mm -hmm. right? Like if somebody is struggling, um, we try to internalize our mental health and like, let's not talk to people about it cause it's embarrassing or let's just try to fight through it as the tough, as the best that we can. And, yeah. um, I, I, they get into a place where they're just coping and just surviving. And all of a sudden it's survival versus, cause all those things take extra work, right? All those things take extra time. They all take extra mental energy of like, Oh, I need to get outside today. Despite the fact that everything in my body tells me to just lay on the couch because I have no energy. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes they don't know. And then other times they do know, but for whatever reason, all they're doing is just surviving and it just creates this, this round cycle that just doesn't benefit them. And that, that seems to be what I experience the most in my sessions with people. It, mm -hmm. it takes me back to why I decided to become a therapist when I was working with these these kids um, in inner city who were, like I said, it was a pregnancy prevention program. And we called it the above the waist approach. Um, and so we tried to give them skills and education and reasons to not get pregnant. Right? And one of the things we would do is try to support them in their education on a daily basis. But if they're not feeling safe in their community. They're not sure where their meal is going to come from. There are all these other things that are going on. They have a hard time focusing in on school. And, and we know, yeah, get good sleep, right? Study. Oh, I'm struggling in school. Well, are you doing your homework? No. Well, because they're hungry or they're trying, they have to work themselves at 14, 15 years old, right? So they, the, the system is just not working for them. And, and they know they probably should get good sleep, but right, they're hungry. Mm. It's really yeah. interesting this to me because this instantly brings up and it's kind of what I was alluding to a little bit before about asking whether people know to do these things and I'm looking at it from a, a privileged mm. like point of view like mm. I've like I've fully got the blinkers on because I'm going, well, surely everybody knows that you should eat well. Well, mm -hmm. some people don't even know where the next meal's coming from. Right. 
many, many people can't afford to eat properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're into this cheap, ultra-processed food, which is the latest buzzword, isn't it? And this is apparently one of the leading causes, according to certain sources, of, of mental health breakdown. You know, one of, one of many things, and I, I'm totally oversimplifying it. But I do think at the point I'm trying to make is somebody like myself who's training to be a therapist it's really difficult in some ways to to get rid of all those those blinkers mm-hmm. of you know I, I i look at it and go oh come on you know if you just do this and this you'll be all right yeah. <laughs> it's like having no understanding of people's backgrounds and, and so it's, it's yeah. all a bit of a revelation to me so it's really interesting hearing that story Rich, i think you're on the right track with those questions or the, that thought process of um, what are the barriers for them making that change or doing the things it is? Um, I, I worked for the state and we did a lot of motivational interviewing. Um, and motivational interviewing supposes that people who want to change don't change for typically two reasons. Um, they don't know how or they don't believe they can. Right? So, and so we're often looking for those barriers um, with the motivational interviewing model of why are they not changing? Um, and then we just have to approach it from a non-judgmental curiosity of, hey, what's getting in the way of that? Um, uh, but I, I be honest, I, I grew up very privileged in Southern California, and I, I'm in Detroit and Flint, Michigan, wondering why, hey, why are, why are people of color still stuck here? Hey, my family got out of this, right? Um, and then if you go talk to my dad, who got us, got him out of there, what do you have to do to overcome some of these challenges? And man, he, uh, that shouldn't have been the path for everyone, right? Running away, joining the military, all the things that he had to do, there should be a, a different path. And so that was where my privilege had to come into play. I was like, oh, wait, I didn't get here on my own. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, when I'm talking to clients and they're coming in and talking about their marriage, I wonder, oh, well, maybe they don't know. They don't have an understanding. Uh, what do they know, right? And and what have they tried? So, Yeah, yeah. marriage is, uh, again, and we'll probably talk about this, but again, I've, I've been in the fortunate position that my my parents are still alive and, and still married. And, you know, that I think it was a good role model. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm married and, yeah, touch wood, that, that's going pretty well. And and in some ways, I mean, you could have a whole conversation about why marriage is, you know, not needed anymore, perhaps. Or mm-hmm. I understand, I understand all that, and I'm not saying it's the only way for one minute. But for me personally, it's been a useful. Um, it sounds so unromantic, doesn't it? Saying it's been a useful six <laughs> <and> four. <laughs> we cut that. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, I'm leaving it in. <laughs> aside, it, it definitely has has had massive benefits for me and my children and my wider family. And you know, I met my wife about twenty odd years ago. I should know exactly when, but I don't. So let's say twenty years ago. And who would have thought after, after 20 years we've, we've created this family and then obviously our, we're lucky enough to have both sets of parents are still alive, they're getting older now and, and you create this family unit that's extremely uh, supporting, sustaining um, and it's, you know, feel extremely fortunate to have mm-hmm. it. 
Um, but again, the, the, the problem is, as a, as a trainee therapist, is this kind of almost temptation to go, well, why don't you just act like this and then <laughs> things might be better? But then there is a side of it which some there is some truth in that in, to a certain extent with certain problems, isn't there? So it's very complicated landscape. Well, Rich, I, I I don't think it's a, it's a far jump to why don't you do this. I would ask something a little bit different. Hey, um, this is what makes marriages work. What keeps you from doing this? Right? right? It's the okay because as as you become the therapist, right? You they're coming to you as being the expert. And you're giving them advice that might work. And so they're looking at you saying, hey, what works? And you get to say, well, what keeps you from trying this, right? What keeps you from doing this? And Mm -hmm. and just, you're allowed to do that. Now, when we say, why don't you just do this, right? (laughs) That kind of changes the the flavor of it a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, that's really, yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. certain certain therapist tricks right like what keeps you from doing this or i i wonder is is a is a therapist favorite i i i wonder if there's another way i wonder if there's a different way to think about this yeah and, and really help out that way for yep. sure i love that one i wonder or i've noticed right i've noticed this thing <laughs> yeah yeah for sure hey, Dwayne, i want to back up just just a minute um if, if you're okay with that um so you, you mentioned your um, LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist, uh-huh. and um, my my understanding is you are also going back and doing your your PhD. Is that in, also in in licensed and licensed? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be able to say it. Licensed in marriage and family therapy. Yeah, it, it'll be a PhD in marriage and family therapy. Um, I actually start class tomorrow, so that that my program oh. actually starts tomorrow for the PhD. So awesome. Um, it's I, I the only reason why well there's several reasons why I'm doing the PhD but one is I do want to teach at the profession at the college level um, I do want to um, teach uh, marriage and family therapy uh, and you're required to have a PhD for that um, okay and it's not required to do therapy I'm already licensed right so um, but I got out of school um, and. I got done with my master's. I said I was never going back to school <laughs> when I got done. Um, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> but <laughs> as I've been sitting around and and um, doing presentations here and there, um, I have uh, discovered that you know I might want to teach, and and so that's that's one of the main reasons why I'm going back for the PhD. Okay. And just because I think a lot of our, our listeners probably, um, they're, they're not in this field necessarily, but um, can you talk about like it, it, the, the path to become an LMFT, um, to become a licensed marriage or family therapist, and just kind of what that path looks like, at least here in, in America, obviously it would be dis- different for where Rich is. So basically the, the, the steps are, again, four-year degree in a social science is typically what people do. My undergrad was in counseling psychology. And so, okay. um, so that's that four year degree. Um, it could be at almost any social work, um, any one of the, the social sciences, the master's program is all that's required to become an LF, LMFT. Um, it's a master's master's degree and marriage and family therapy. It can be a master's in science or a master in arts, depending on your school. Um, uh, and that's typically a two-year program that includes um, doing therapy and 
you are doing internships, practicums when you're actually practicing during that time. Um, and then, and then when you graduate, you have to get a certain amount of hours. Um, and I believe they've changed it here in Utah. Maybe that might be to 3000 hours in two years within the two years. Um, yeah. Or it, it used to be two years after, um, graduating, but I think with COVID changed some things a little bit. So it, it might even be 18 months. Matter of fact, I know it was changed to 18 months because I had all my hours in when they changed it to 18 months. Um, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I have all my hours and I can get my license now or my full licenture. That's a hell of a lot to do, isn't it? In that time. Yes, but it's not just clinical hours. It's not just with clients. It is learning. There's the continued education. There's different things that go with it. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I worked a lot of hours anyway. Um, when I went to school, I'm a, we had five kids. I didn't get to do the um, <laughs> just go to school and come home and study. I had to go to school, come home and work. And so... By the time school was done, when I wasn't working the two jobs and going to school, working a lot of hours was still less than what I was doing when I was in school. So that's why my hours are pretty easy to get. So, okay. yeah. but yeah, that that so many hours under supervision after you graduate, and I think it's three thousand within uh, in eighteen months, um, and half of them, half of those three thousand have to be with um, relational hours is what we call it for MFT. Um, and meaning two people in the room, they don't have to be married. They just have to have some sort of a relationship. Mm -hmm. So, um, the focus on marriage and family, in fact, I think it used to be called marriage, family, and individual therapy, I think is what it used to be called. Um, and they just keep shortening it to something else. Um, and, and I tell people, my clients, I, I've always, joke with them like you know i didn't become a marriage and family therapist because i cared about marriages and our families i cared about those kids that i was seeing back in michigan <laughs> and i was trying to address their system and but i i love working with families and couples and everything else mm. so i um because obviously i'm i'm learning about the, all this stuff at the moment and i'm impressed that you can have two clients so a couple at the same time <laughs> Because I'm wrestling with the fact, like, how on earth do you keep keep the rain, not keep the reins on, but keep control of the situation, mm -hmm. uh, steer the session in the right direction, actually be of some use to the person who's coming in. That feels like quite a task. So mm -hmm. then to have two people in the room, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because. On, I have a bio out there somewhere that says, or a biography out there that says that I, I, I specialize in high conflict couples. Um, okay. And while I do see high conflict couples, um, I find that there it's um, uh, improvement happens quicker, right? Um, if you're willing to control the room, like he said, and, um, and get them to do something different, change they can they can see change quicker right mm -hmm. um and and i do say this to them on occasions when they're coming in i will watch them argue for a short amount of time then i like to say oh is this what you guys do at home 
And they're like, yeah, but it's worse at home. I'm like, well, you're not at home. You're in my office. And so we're going to do something different, right? <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, like, you can be, go home and do that for free, right? Let's see if we can do something different. <laughs> yeah. Do you find, um, do you, because you, you seem like a confident guy, do you find that you're confident in these sessions? Because this is something else that I worry about. Having, let's, so let's say the scenario is a, a, a rowing couple come in to see me. I'd be thinking, oh my God, like, you know, I, I need to say, I need to be assertive, perhaps, put, you know, tell somebody to be quiet or whatever. Um, but I don't really feel quite confident doing that. <laughs> Just, I don't know. What, what, how do you I, find I, it? I smile at the confidence part. Remember, we talked about the, that school for two, two years and then those 3,000 hours you have to do. Okay. That's where some of that comes from, sitting in those situations. But I remember a couple number one while I'm in school. I'm like, what? Now, mind you, again, I was a I went to school after being married for I think we were 20 years in, maybe 15 years in. So I wasn't a young therapist. I was young at doing therapy, but I just wasn't young in age, right? But it's still, <laughs> my first session, and I'm like, what in the world am I supposed to be doing? And at BYU, when I was there, we had this observation room. We had the glass that the professor could be behind and. And there's a phone on the wall that they can call in and say, hey, can you ask this or whatever? And the glass is sitting off to here. And I'm sitting there, the couple says something, and I'm looking at the glass like, are you going to call me? Help me out. <laughs> <laughs> what do I say know. next? <laughs> Help. Yeah. Uh, so, so it takes some time. It does take some time. <laughs> Dwayne, I'm, I'm curious uh, with you talking about uh, – I love that example of you'll watch a couple – have a discussion or an argument in front of you and then kind of help to reframe of how we're going to shift focus. Mm -hmm. I, I have a couple of, of thoughts around that. One is, or questions around that, I guess. One is, how do you how do you work with couples when you find that one of them might be more motivated than the other? Um, every, every client, yeah, every client that comes into me, I give homework to them. The first, the first homework set or first set of homework is, one, they have to go home and decide whether or not I'm a good fit for them, right? Um, fit is probably the most important thing in therapy. If um, I laugh about that, I'm like, man, I went to learn all these other things. And if it does, if we don't fit, it doesn't work. Okay. So, so the first part of that is fit. The second mm -hmm. one is, is how will they know if it's working, right? So they have to come back and tell me um, if we're doing therapy consistently for the next three, four months, how will they know if it's working? Right. And so we get a goal from them. And then and then if we come in, I, I get to measure what they're trying to do based off of their goals. And so I just get to as, if I'm addressing their goals, if one is working harder than the other, I just get to decide we get to decide together. Is that still your goal? Right. So it makes it a little bit easier because they gave me the goals. I didn't make it up for them. What's the. Um... What's the top problem people couples have? Um, it's not surprising that it's communication. Right? Right. Um, communicating well. Um, I smile because I'm like, yeah, everybody's communication, but why can't they communicate well? What's going hmm. on um, that prevents them? Um, and typically it's communication, sex, um, uh, parenting, and... Um, money right this this is not surprising to a lot of anybody who's 
gone to therapy, wants therapy, or has argued with someone. That's usually the underlying issues that <laughs> people have with better couples. Yeah. 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 When, yeah, those are all, those are all hot button topics for sure. Um, and, and this is maybe a loaded question or maybe one that's not fair, but when, when would you advise a couple of that? It might be, it might be valuable for you to come into couples therapy. So I, before you get married. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. That was a surprise. Um, I, you know, we, we train for a whole lot of things, right? We, we, before we run a marathon, we, we train before we take a test, we, you know, we study, um, you know, marriage is, is a life for most of us. It's a lifelong commitment and everything else. And, and honestly, we haven't, we don't do much to study for it. Um, we just get in and we hope it works and we think we have some skills and, and we want to make it work. If we thought about marriage as, or counseling as education, right? Um, I do premarital counseling, premarital education. Um, and uh, I have a couple right now that they've been engaged, they're coming in. They just like, when they came and said, we just wanna make sure we're on the same page. I'm like, yes, finally, someone <laughs> who is coming in getting education. So they're able to talk about what are their goals and everything else being on the same page before they're actually getting married. So it also depends on what are they coming in for, but that's interesting. Um, I I was listening to a podcast earlier in the week. Um, A guy, he's an English guy called Alan the bottom. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an English sort of uh, psychotherapist author. um, And he talks a lot about marriage and relationships and he his advice when you first go on a date with somebody you sit down at dinner with them and you should ask them how are you crazy and and if the answer is i'm not crazy i'm a completely normal person he says that you should go And, (laughs) and he also like addresses the fact that he says that marriage and and relationships are a skill and he blames the romantic movement of 200 years ago for the notion of, you know, you're just going to bump into your soulmate. Mm-hmm. And you're not even going to need to speak to them because you just know that this person's meant to be and it's all, you know, this crazy romantic love story and, and, and you live happily ever after. And, and he talks in depth and has written books about how problematic that is and i see it and, and i've experienced that myself um i don't want to be too revealing i always seem to just spill the beans too much in in public <laughs> you are talking you are talking to two therapists at this point yeah, I, to two I, I need to i need to watch you out know, so we'll sit back and just listen right <laughs> <laughs> but you know um when you said about that, that young couple that are coming in to see you to you know to have a look to see whether marriage is right for them perhaps and you know, that is not the stuff of American uh, romantic films, is it? No. So, no. so I, I blame America. <laughs> hey, Rich, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, just as bad. We're, just, we're just as bad over here. I mean, we're, we're so um, fed that in everything we do, even right down to adverts for washing powder where, you know, there's a pile of dirty laundry and, and the husband comes in and, 
you know, does something dumb and the wife smiles at him in a pitiful way and they just, they don't communicate, they just understand that the washing's got to be done. And it's yes. really problematic. Yes. Before you uh, just explain that, Rich, I was going to have to ask what washing powder was. Oh, right, okay. Uh, what do you call it? <laughs> uh, laundry soap. Laundry okay. soap. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, I yeah. got you there. Yeah. You know, culturally, again, in a um, religious community, the other challenges with marriage is um, the, the families or the couples I hear often, they're told, hey, if you're struggling, just pray about it more. Just read your scriptures more, read, and, and things will be better um, versus giving them a skill that helps them improve what's going on. Um, you know, praying about it. I'm not telling people not to pray and not read or anything like that, but um, that's not going to give you that communication skill that you need it or help you express that feeling that you needed to um, or ask for your needs. Um, mm-hmm. And so it c- creates more frustration because when my younger couples get married, they're expecting it to be bliss because that's what they were told. Right. And if they were faithful enough within their spiritual journey, then their marriage is going to be great and there would be no problems, right? That's it's kind of the message they get. I'm not sure if that's exactly what they're being told, but when they come to me, I say, hey, you need to add this to your marriage as well. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that, right? So I think the problem, because I, I mean, I was brought up in a Christian family and I, so, so, so I'm only talking about Christianity here and I, and I do see that, some of the time within marriages and relationships, there's a tendency to go, um, I don't know how to put it exactly. I'm going to put up with it. I'm going to put up with it for the greater good. You know, and I can take it because, you know, God's watching me or whatever, whatever. My thing is I'm not against religion at all. I, I actually like marriage. In some senses, I I, I quite support it and I think it's a shame that we're, that we're losing it in, in some ways and I know it has massive problems um, but I always believe that even if you are a Christian or whatever religion it is you also just need to actually help yourself and I, and I reckon most religions wouldn't disagree with that you know there's no point in just sitting there hoping and praying that you're going to be able to communicate or, or maybe you could pray that you're going to communicate better but you can't pray away problems as such i think you have to be proactive and and in some ways maybe that's a little bit like the therapy process as well you go in you lay your cards on the table you look at all the, the bits and pieces and the mess mm-hmm. the therapist helps you look at that and then you actually have to do something about it rather mm-hmm. than to expect it to be solved does that make any sense absolutely absolutely i i here's how i've described therapy to people um oftentimes people ask me what's therapy like and i'll probably keep it a little bit cleaner for this version <laughs> <laughs> i go for it we've been discussing the bleeping machine so you, you'll be fine. yeah yeah let's test it <laughs> well, people come into your office and literally they kind of just crap on your floor Mm-hmm. Right. As a therapist, you have to be comfortable sitting in it. You have to be able to touch it, feel it, understand it, describe it. Say, oh, yeah, this stinks. This is terrible and everything else. And then you have to, as a therapist, you step out of it, clean yourself off. And then you teach them they can do the same thing. Right. Um, 
and then they can take it with them. But they have to do some work too, right? I can't clean it up for them. I can teach them. We can talk about it, look at it, see what it is, right? And I have to be comfortable sitting in it, but it's theirs, right? I have my own, by the way. <laughs> I, <don't>, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have my own I have to clean up, right? So, but I have to be comfortable enough to sit in it with someone else, but they actually have to do the work. So. Yeah, yeah. I have... Um just way too many questions here and and i don't i don't know where to go yet but i don't want to lose this one i I would like to pivot just for a a little bit of time if you're okay with this one thing that you and i talked about before we jumped on Mm -hmm. is getting into these conversations of um religion and race and systems and all of this stuff that has this underlying current in everything that we do Mm -hmm. in social work um, and I think that this is an appropriate time to, to discuss that, given that we were just talking about religion a little bit. Um, you mentioned to me, Dwayne, that you have kind of made it a practice to get comfortable engaging in these conversations yes. and, and having them with other people. And can you just I don't necessarily have a question to start with, but can you just kind of jump in what that process has been like for you? Yeah, there's um, when I was in school, um, grad school, right? My entire life, I've been dealing with race issues, to be honest with you. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, right? So um, I did get pulled over, but but stopped by police. I was arrested for walking home from school, right, Um, in my high school years. So race has always been a challenge for me, or it's always been on the surface. And when I was in grad school, it was at the time of um, when, man, I kept trying to think of what the what the stories were at the time, but it was um, all the shootings and killings of um, unarmed um, people of color. And, and, and I remember feeling all the anxiety of that. Now, mind you, I'm attending BYU. Um, and if you're not familiar with the demographics there, right, um, it's, it's Utah, right? And so it's a majority, predominantly white institution is what we call them, the PWIs, predominantly white institution. Um, but our professors there um, were willing to talk about it and address it. And I remember um, Dr. Bean, Roy Bean, um, was having this conversation about diversity and race. And, and I think there's 12 of us, 12 of us students that are in there. He says, we're going to have this conversation. We're not good at doing it. Um, and it's OK that we're not do- good at doing it. We just need to start having it. And we're going to make mistakes. We need to have grace. Um, some of us have been having these conversations longer than others, so we're better at it than right than some. But if we don't start having it, we can't have it. And that's kind of where my mindset started going as far as from a professional level. It is how is race, religion, politics affecting the mental health, the relationships, and everything else that we have. And so whenever I see... Um, I have a few clients of color who have sought me out because I'm a therapist of color. And so they, they seek me out because sitting in a room with someone that they don't have to explain their existence, as they would tell me, right, um, that they can actually yeah. get to the challenges they have. Um, and so if they're coming in for depression, again, from a systemic point, man, what's it like to be black in Utah? Right? Um, so I can't avoid that question. Um, they're sitting here talking to me as a therapist. Um, and we're talking about the depression, we can talk about exercise, 
like you know, food and sun and all these different things. But we can't avoid that race question. We can't avoid if you're not if you're not religious here, if you're not part of the predominant religion here, what's that like for you? Um, where do you find your friends? Where do you feel connection? Right. So um, if we avoid those conversations, we're going to miss out on a lot. I'm going to miss out on a lot of my um, uh, parts of the lives of my clients if I can't talk about those things. Hmm. This is something that's that's come up in my training, actually, which is um, perhaps something. What, what's the word that they use? Immediacy, mm-hmm. being having having the courage to to raise uh, something. Let's call it the elephant in the room, or or, yes. or some, something that you know I might have. Well, very almost certainly be extremely ignorant about somebody. So it could be race uh disability might be something mm-hmm. um and it's like you don't know how to ask about it perhaps because you don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation and it's it's learning the skill of kind of uh, call, calling it out for want of a, a better expression to say how does it affect you and then also being comfortable saying to the the client i don't really know how to have this conversation because I'm not sat where you're sat and, and perhaps we need to, but around race, I think for me, uh, that's a particularly difficult one because I'm, I'm so ignorant. Um, again, we going back to our earlier part of the conversation, the sort of sheltered life I've led and um, it's very difficult for me to truly understand, you know, well, what it's like to be a person of color, for instance, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to know. And then also something my wife said to me that it's, she said, it's not up to a person of color to educate you about that. Um, so I just, you know, on the particular topic of race, I do not know how you deal with that in the therapy room. I, I think, Rich, I think you do get a chance to be taught by your clients, though, right? And I think that's true for any scenario. I don't know what it's like to be a woman, right? I don't know what it's like to be. I have to be aware that there's something there, though, right? I have to have some sort of awareness, and I get to ask the question. Um, I have, you know, I won't take it away from um, these other questions, but I, when I have women often in my office, um, I do get to ask the question, so what's it like to have a male therapist, right? Um, I don't know. What's it like? What's this experience like for you? Because I have no idea. Um, I do need, I do know I have to set the setting to where they feel comfortable enough to answer that question. Right? Yeah. Um, but, but, but when my clients, my clients of color come in, man, what's it like for you to be black here in Utah? I have my own experience, right? What's it like to be black in general? What's, how does that affect you? The challenge is oftentimes that question is just not asked in general. Um, okay. That's and it's just they don't feel like man, if they come see a therapist and the therapist can't talk about it, then that means they can't talk about it either. Mm. I love the way you, you reframe it. And you've done it a few times to me today, actually, where it's just a different it's just a different way of looking at it, a different way of asking the question uh, and actually just asking the question. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's the thing. Just ask the question, right? Um, um, you, you'll find in your training, um, become a therapist, you'll, you'll hear that phrase, just ask, right? And I will say this to my clients often. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to ask, or I'm just going to say this. I'll fix it if I need to, right? I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> to, 
<laughs> here's what's yeah. on my head, right? Um, now, I get to do that because I'm building a relationship too, right? The mm-hmm. relationship of trust, and they know that I'm just trying to help. It's like, yeah. But I get, to, I get to be awkward, and I want to teach them that it's okay to be awkward too. Um, yeah. Is there, is there a certain time that you feel like this is the appropriate time that I can ask these really difficult questions? Um, I imagine every client's a little different, so I know that that's a loaded question, but how do you gauge that as a therapist of this is, this is now a place where I can ask these hard questions and not worry about losing them as a client? Um, that's a good question. Uh, Typically, I have I have done, if I'm being honest, the first two sessions, I am doing a lot of relationship building, the first two sessions. Mm-hmm. And the first one, we really spend a whole lot of time, get to know each other. I often will say, hey, I'm not going to dig too deep into right, the, the challenge that we're coming in for. I want us to get to know each other a little bit because we talk about fit. And so... Um, and then the second session is them talking about what their goals are and how to get there and and how do they think I can help them in that and what are they hoping to get out of therapy. And again, I, I am sharing a lot of myself in that experience. And by the third session, I feel like by the third session, I'm usually prepared to have any conversation with them. Right. Okay. Um, and. I don't know if that's necessarily true for everyone. I'd have to look through um, history, but for the most part, by the third session, my clients have opened up enough. Um, and and to be honest with you, we're I'm in a cash pay environment. We don't take insurance, and so I'm I'm wanting to get to things as quickly as we can. Um, and the, and the clients are typically in agreement that we can move forward. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And so part of that relationship building, you, you, um, you do a lot of self-disclosure. I do. And just talk about yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you, you learn that, why am I disclosing this? Why am I sharing this with them? Am I sharing it because I need the help? Are they, I, I want to look good or whatever, or is it, this will be helpful for them to see um, or helpful for them to know. And it's, it's uh, a, <laughs> If, if I'm getting therapy out of it, then then there's a problem, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I've said to a couple of my clients who asked me questions, right? Because we're where we've like last week we had a our, our grandbaby was born and we canceled sessions for when she was born. I come back and my clients that day are, how's your grandbaby and everything else? I'm like, wow, you guys know a whole lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you say, so, well, it's, it's, it's amazing, but it's also brought up these feelings for me, and and then, then, then you remember it's not your magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, so, by the way, on on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, amazing. Dwayne, I want to pivot back to to therapy um, just just a little bit. I have, like I said, I have a, a variety of questions, and I I need to get this one in before we get too deep in. Um, <laughs> this one, all right. We just talked about self disclosure, so here I go. Uh, <laughs> this one is directly from my my wife. She has threatened me with my life if I don't ask this question for her. <laughs> so here I am, um, and she wanted it recorded. So I, I have permission for that. Here we um, go. 
<laughs> so she, she has, um, you're, you're familiar with uh, attachment styles at, yes. at this point with doing couples work, I imagine. And Rich, I don't know. Do you know much about attachment styles yet? Or should I no. give a brief no. overview? Okay. So super, super brief overview. Um, four different attachment styles um, have been researched. Um, secure attachment uh, is is like you can you can be in a relationship and um, maybe there's arguments or maybe there's time apart from each other and you don't feel like your relationship is in jeopardy. You can you, you can take that time apart or you can be in an argument with each other and you don't feel like it's going to affect the relationship necessarily. Um, and then there's anxious attachment where you feel like um, you need a lot of validation in that relationship. You need the person to keep. Um, expressing the desire to be in that relationship uh through a variety of of different ways physical touch or verbal or just whatever like you constantly need validating that that their relationship is is okay and going to be there uh then there's avoidant attachment which is the opposite of anxious you every time you feel close you kind of pull away you push push away from that relationship maybe it's a little bit scary um, despite the fact that you want to be connected uh it feels uncomfortable and so you kind of avoid intimate moments and, and things that might make you feel vulnerable that way and then there's a combination of anxious and avoidant sometimes you'll pull close sometimes you'll push away and it's kind of all over the place and messy so those are the four attachment styles. <laughs> and we got a finger point on which one, Rich? <laughs> the both, not, the, both the mixture. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to reveal. I'm just, I'm just calling you out. Um, okay. So, Dwayne, my wife's question is um, she believes that she is anxious, has anxious attachment. And mm. being in a relationship with her for uh, 18 years at this point, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's, it's a convert, it's an open conversation between us, right? Like her and I can talk about it and we kind of know what's going on. And, um, and me just having insight being a therapist and us just talking and she likes to learn a lot of things too. And so we, we, this is not like revolutionary for me or her, but I think it's important for couples when you have, um, when you have a, a partner who is experiencing anxious attachment and me, like I'm secure attachment. Mm -hmm. How do you work with couples like that? What do you, what do you advise? How much, how much of the responsibility is on the spouse to, to continue to validate and encourage and love and support and work through that anxiousness? And how much of it do you feel like should be a self-responsibility of, I know that I have this anxious attachment and I know that this does mean anything and like what is that like for you at working with couples and, and what is what's your advice on that um <laughs> i'm smiling I, have, I, I just i just had 60 couples run through my head as you're talking. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah and that one yeah it's a big it's a big common question for sure yeah. um the, the 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 main responsibility I would say for me, is, well, if I'm talking to the couples, the person who is secure, I want them to remain secure, obviously, right? I want them to have that security and do the things that make relationships work, right? Um, um, make sure you're having good connection, you're you're showing up. This is if you're both of them, I would ask them both to do this. Um, you show up. Um, for each other, you you tune into each other. Um, you're you're tuned in long enough to understand what's going on, and then you behave according to how you understand, right? So, I'm asking them both to do that. 
Now, if we want to make that a better improvement, that one who is anxious needs to work on that. <laughs> um, that 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 is. Um, I think I said something to um, my wife early in the early days that was probably a really dumb thing to say, but it's still <laughs> true. <right? laughs> um, I, I just have better skills now. I said, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I've never I've never done anything like that, Dwayne. So I, I can't relate. <laughs> it was like as I shared this, it's like okay, it's it, I can't make you happy, and it's not even my job, <laughs> right? That phrase. It's true, right? I can't make you happy and it's not my job. <laughs> um, I don't advise anybody to share that with their spouse. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, my, my job, if it's so-called, is to create an environment where happiness is easier for her to choose, right? Because um, it is her choice. Um, and so if the environment, if I walk came in the house and I decided to do the dishes and um, cleaned up the living room and changed the kitty litter, did all the different things. And she came home from work. It's still a choice for her to be happy. Um, and it's still a choice for her to, or be unhappy. Right. I, I could talk about that. I don't know if it's always a choice, but um, to be, to be happy and she can still be upset even though those things are done. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that my efforts aren't worth it. It just means she has something else going on. As her partner, my job is to help create an environment where happiness is easier to choose. And because I've tuned into her long enough, I understand what that environment would need. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. if she still has some anxiety, that, that attachment style still kicks in, there's still stuff going on. Um, that's still something she needs to work on. That's an interesting one to me because you're kind of saying, I think, if I'm understanding it, or, well, another way of putting it, it might be if, let's say, in my half of the relationship or on my side, I do everything that I think I should be doing um, and everything's kind of as it, as good as it should be and I'm putting the effort in and there's still a problem, I think at that point it's easy to perhaps turn it in on yourself. Mm-hmm. Or be resentful of the fact, well, I put all this effort in and you're still not happy or whatever it is. Right. Uh, but it might be nothing to do with you or what you've done. Um, so, so again, sometimes, and this is like a common thing in therapy, isn't it? Which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's listening to the other person and yes. going, well, what's going on for you? And, it, and it's not immediately about me. And that's something that I've... It's taken me a long time to learn that, but it is something that I think I've learned over the years. Yeah, if, if I'm making, I guess, again, you're right. If And hopefully we're, we're not guessing what would it take to create the environment that we've talked, we've tuned in, we've done those things. And so it's not a guess, right? I don't, I don't want my clients guessing what their spouse needs or their partner needs. I want them to understand because they've had these conversations and they've tuned in and they've listened and... Um, uh, I can disclose, right? I'm right? talking about disclosure. My, my wife came home today and it didn't matter what I did. It, she was tired when she came home today. It doesn't matter. that house, The house could have been spotless. It wasn't, by the way. Uh, it could have been spotless. And, and if she doesn't acknowledge any of the things that I may or may not have done and she just jumps in bed, 
she's tired, right? It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> and she worked all night and I, and then she had to drive home in the snow and, and she almost crashes into a stop sign. as she told me, right. <laughs> it is, it is. So you didn't get her out of the bed and say, come on, have you seen what I've done around the house? Come on, you should. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I don't. It's, it's just, Hey, I get it. No. Um, you know, maybe I should have not should, right. I don't do a whole lot of shitting, but, um, <laughs> If I knew she was coming home and she was tired, it wouldn't have been better for me to clear off her side of the bed that had some clothes on it, right? <laughs> um, but so it, it isn't yeah. about um, me trying to change necessarily to fix things. It is, hey, let's yeah. just create the environment where it's easier for our, our partners to choose the, the emotion that they want to have. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love uh, that mindset. All, um, oh, sorry, Cody. Sorry, carry on. Oh no, you, you're fine. I was just going to say that I love that mindset because it goes right back into what you've talked about this whole time is is building systems, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's build a system that's going to work for us and and our relationship. And here's the challenges that we're facing. So let's create that system that's gonna that's gonna mm-hmm. be successful. So if there's any yeah. um, Hollywood movie producers uh, listening to this, that could be the new title of a Hollywood blockbuster, um, Let's Build a System. Let's build a system. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. One thing I will, another question that I wanted to ask is, um, are there certain things that you can point out that a maybe a healthy relationship there's things that a healthy relationship does that a less than healthy relationship doesn't do what, like are there certain actions or activities or like just communication patterns? Like what, what, how would you define things that fit in a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy one? Yeah. The, the two, I I can name several of them. One, one is they, they acknowledge the efforts that each are making. Right. Um, even if it's not perfect, you know, you get to acknowledge each other's efforts. Um, the, and it can be, and, and we're putting in effort every day for something, right? And if we are being seen by our partner um, in that effort, and it can be as simple of, hey, I, I, I noticed you, you, you put the dishes away. Um, thanks, right? Or, hey, I noticed um, you, 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 you put gas in the car today. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right. Um, all the things that we can notice um, and we actually acknowledge it out loud. Right. Um, I, I see the couples who do that tend to do really well. And to be honest, I don't see them in therapy as much. Right? <laughs> like those aren't the couples I'm seeing in therapy. But the ones who come in when they start doing that and they're not in therapy very long. Um, is they, yeah, they, I'm saying, here, Dwayne, you can you can tell me what's wrong with me, all right? So, <laughs> my, a bit of self-disclosure. We're all doing it, so I'll dis, I'll disclose something. So, before Christmas, like it always gets to the end of autumn, and I think I really should tidy up the garden before, mm-hmm. you know, before it gets to to winter. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, that never happens. And round where you come into the, the the side of our house, we have these raised beds, and it's full of dead runner beans and plants and sunflowers that have killed over and it all just looks like a horrible mess uh-huh. there's people coming for, for christmas and i know it doesn't matter 
and I, and I try and tell myself it doesn't matter, but I would like it to look reasonably tidy. Mm-hmm. Um, so one morning I I went out and I just I just absolutely grafted like a like I'd completely lost the plot. And just I, I trimmed the hedge, cut all the plants down, turned over the soil, swept it all out, put loads of stuff in the garage, and just did a real good job of it. And it looked mm-hmm. amazing. I was really, really, you know, fantastically pleased with my work. And nobody commented on it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I let it go, and I let it go. And, and I think I managed to get about four or five days, and it was possibly even Christmas Day. When mm-hmm. I finally flipped and went, did you notice that I tidied up the garden? <laughs> and my wife was like, yeah, yeah, it looks, looks great. <laughs> and I, was, I was kind of like just slightly seething that, that it had not been. Um, but she actually would have noticed it and she would have appreciated it. And it's my, and I'm aware that it's my sort of neediness sometimes mm-hmm. going, yeah, look mm-hmm. what I did. And, it, and there's some sort of martyrdom about it perhaps and... Yes. So what's wrong with me? Validation feels good, right? (laughs) Uh, Validation feels good. I, I, um, we were, I was at a conference earlier this year and we, we were talking about validation and, and how it can also be dangerous, right? Is if we are, if we are needing validation to feel good about ourselves, that's problematic. If we allow validation to help us help allow it to help us feel good, and we're not needing it, then that's that's the appropriate way. But mm. as, as they're teaching us, if I needed my wife to feel good about myself, then I'm not choosing her; I'm using her. Right? Oh. So, um, sorry, <laughs> wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny I went out into the garden several times, and I was like, <laughs> I overthink everything, or, or perhaps I give it appropriate thought. And I and as we had visitors around to the house and everything, I was aware that I was enjoying the fact that the garden was tidy. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, come in, welcome. Yeah, you can look <laughs> anywhere you want. And, and, <laughs> and, I was, and I was and I was like, I'm getting some enjoyment out of that. She doesn't she doesn't really she's not concerned. She's got more important things to worry about, like mm-hmm. feeding all the visitors that we had, you know, yes. that massive yes. operation. So she's in there like cooking dinners and like got meals prepped for like days on end, on end. And I'm going, anyone, has anyone seen the hedge that I've trimmed? And (laughs) so it wasn't enough for me in some ways that I was enjoying the fact that the garden was tidy. I I was seeking out some uh, validation and I I regret revealing that on the podcast. But there you go. Here we are. (laughs) I I think we all do it in different ways, right? Uh, what What I would be teaching my clients, right, is... If, if that's what, if you want to receive that validation, if you want that, tell them that's what you're wanting. Right? Like I said, yeah. don't make people guess, right? Um, if as I am uh, finishing up our downstairs, we have a we finished our basement, and I did a lot of it uh, on my own. And right now, I'm working on the sink and the thing that she wanted, and all these other stuff. And I got the water up and running, and and that was the thing this morning. By the way, she comes in and passes right by it, right. <laughs> um, and um, never mind that I've been working on it for eight months, and she ha- and I hadn't gotten any progress, right? <laughs> or I hadn't worked on it for eight months, right? Um, right. You wanted done eight months ago, or were happy eight months ago? So never mind that part. I have to skip that part, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the fact that I got it up, 
when she came to the room, I'm like, hey, did you notice I got the thing? And she's like, no, well, thank you, right? It's like, oh, now that feels good, right? There's no reason for her to notice it, right? She worked all night, right? <laughs> it's, it's recognizing that thing. And I think for me, it would have been, hey, when y'all get a chance, go out there and look at the garden that I did. <laughs> come back and tell me what a good job it was. I yeah. think that's hilarious. And I think we're just kind of teaching people how to treat us, right? I and like that. And, and I must say, like, I do get validated a lot. And like my wife will say, she does say things like, you know, thanks for hanging up the washing or doing that I should be doing anyway. And I do do anyway. And she doesn't need to thank me for right. doing it. But I do. I do appreciate it. And I did hear somebody who there was something that I read or I heard and somebody was talking about relationships and secrets to a good marriage. And this guy said, always remember that your other half is doing probably doing more than you are. And I, I, I quite like that. I quite like that. You know, so if you're feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm doing all this and that. And I know it's not the case in every case, right. but I, there's so much stuff, you know, a husband or wife is doing that we really just don't see. A, a lot of the struggles are that I see the ones that have been really, really hard is the one, one couple or both. They have a hard time recognizing those efforts. Um, and and they feel like um, they feel like they're on their own, and their their partner's not helping them and things. I'm like, but their partner's doing all these things. And you said something, Rich, that I I smile about because I don't I don't want to praise someone for doing things they're supposed to do anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, I'm not asking people to praise. I'm asking people to acknowledge, right? Just acknowledge mm-hmm. that's being done. See that it's being done. I don't. Um, Raising kids, I struggled with paying them allowance for cleaning their room, right? It's like, it's your room. You made the mess. <laughs> Do I charge you for it? <laughs> um, so it's the same thing when you, uh, and that's why people have a hard time, I think, acknowledging the efforts that people are making. Yeah, some of the efforts they're making is stuff you need to be doing, but just because I need to be doing it doesn't mean that you can't acknowledge it, right? And mm-hmm. If people are acknowledging because they want to, not because they feel like they have to, I think that's what healthy couples do. They acknowledge each other's efforts, um, yeah. even if it's stuff that needed to be done anyway. I know you just raised uh, about your children and, and tidying their their bedroom and something that I, uh, I mean, trying to get my kids to tidy their rooms. I mean, that's there's a whole podcast in there. <laughs> <laughs> something I do, like with with my one of my sons, I'll say. So it's uh, I say to him, make your bed, obviously, and on the occasion that he does make his bed. I say, you know, brilliant. You, you, I, I, I know. I, I let him know that I've seen it and say, well done for making your bed. And then I do kind of think, should I be doing that or should he just, you know, should he just make it and it shouldn't be commented on? And again, overthinking, overthinking. Um, but then something I do, and I know this is not good. I might say, you tidied your room today. Well done. It lifted my, it lifted my heart. <laughs> okay therefore if i don't tidy my room i should feel guilty that i've not <laughs> lifted my dad's heart you know so it's just i don't know <laughs> yeah it's a credible reframe right like it, the difference between praise and acknowledgement and i don't i don't think that i've necessarily thought of it in those terms before but and it is it is so much more powerful to to think of like if we just acknowledge what our significant other or 
anybody in a, that we're in a relationship with, if we just acknowledge the efforts that they're going to, it doesn't have to be praiseworthy in our mind, but uh, the fact that they're doing it is is worth acknowledging. I, I love that reframe. Mm-hmm. Dare I mention um, Jordan Peterson? I don't know if anyone knows him. Controversial figure. But anyway, here we go. But he he talks about. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. But (laughs) he's a divisive figure. But um, he talks about this is not so much acknowledgement, but how the day to day stuff that you think is not important in life it is your life, right? So 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 for example, how you're greeted when you come in the door, um, who loads the dishwasher. You know, do you get up immediately after dinner and tidy up or do you sit around for a while first? Um, all these things need to be negotiated. And, and if they're not, you, you can be sort of um, you know, full of resentment and that there's sort of daily battles. And, you know, you might you might think it's it's not really important. But the point I'm trying to make is that if when you get home from work, for example, um nobody looks up, you know, your wife or your husband doesn't greet you and that bothers you, you need to communicate that and say, look, I know it might sound a little bit silly, but when I come in the door, it'd be nice to have a a hug and say hi and Mm -hmm. nice to have you home or whatever. So you actually have to tell somebody to do that perhaps. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Communicating what are your, what are your needs, right? (laughs) Communication is important. Yeah. Go and check out my work in the garden. <laughs> yes, yes. When they have a chance, right? I add that yes, when they have a chance. <laughs> yeah, after, important, after important you've part. finished cooking for 10 people and <laughs> doing the washing, full-time job, organizing Christmas, then go out and check out my hedge trimming. Rich, I, I, you mentioned something I just want to I, I, I'll build upon, right, of learning and understanding and doing therapy and changing the way I approach. Um, I, I think I used to make it a point to say, hey, when the person comes home, um, maybe you should greet them. It'd be nice to greet them and let them transition or whatever it is into the home. Um, I, I realize from a different perspective I mean, the person that's been at home, right? We have five kids, right? So the person that's been at home, they probably need the one or the one that needs the break. Right? Yeah. So it's like, so maybe I talk about what's your routine, right? Instead of me saying, hey, let me create that routine for you. I would say, hey, what's your routine that you're coming back together? How do you, how do you come back together and what routine do you have? Because I think that's still important to have a routine to come back together to symbolize, hey, we're back on the same team, right? Yeah. Um, or we're back together, Um uh, but I used to be one of those, Hey, you know, you should greet that person or whatever. Uh, yeah. If that works for you, it works for you. But maybe, maybe you're been fighting these kids and it's been a battle and, mm. right. Um, and you walk to the, the person walks to the door, you walk to the door and, and go and sit down on the couch and take your break while that person is still struggling. Yeah. That may not go over so well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, that, it's, yeah. It's, it's having, um, that sort of empathetic attitude, isn't it? And, and mm-hmm. walking through the door, whether you're the one coming in or you're the one at home or whatever the situation is and going, what is it like for the other person currently? Um, that's something that I try to do. I don't know whether it's as a result of, of training to be a therapist. I don't know, but it's definitely something that I try. But it also it is 
an effort. And sometimes if you're not feeling in a great mood, you've had a bad day, you know, you don't want to think about it from somebody else's point of view. Right. And then, but then you could get into the battle of like, well, who's had the worst day? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Which is common. And I think also that sort of offloading sometimes, I think I've noticed that potentially it's lazy, a lazy way of having a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a zero effort. Let me moan about how bad my day was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think you have to be careful with that as well. I'm not giving advice, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, things, things, things not to do is definitely still good advice, Rich. <laughs> yeah. Dwayne, I have. I don't want to keep you too long. I, I have one more question, uh, one more loaded question for you sure. before we kind of wrap up. Um, do you have any thoughts or advice for people that are working with mixed families, um, divorces and bringing kids together and the dynamics, the dynamics of that, um, it's specifically maybe even a little bit of older kids, right. That have, have grown up with, with one person and now they're bringing in extra family members. And so the kids quite aren't quite as moldable at the young age. Do do you have any thoughts on working with mixed families and, and combining families? Um, yeah, you're right. That's loaded, right? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot there. I, I would say again, empathy, um, listening, right? I mean, that listening to what the 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 teenagers want, right? Really listening and understanding. It, it's I can think of so many different avenues with this, the the advice I would say is again, spend as much time hearing them, hearing, hearing what they, what they're experiencing, because there could be grief and loss. There could be a whole bunch of things going on with that, that, but kids are smarter and understand more than we're willing to believe. And so we need to pay more attention to what they know, what they understand and what they want and see if we can meet that and still maintain our own values, right? Um, whatever values you have and you want to teach, ma- uh, maintain those. But man, listen to the input that those kids have, um, because they, they they are they're also the ones who would, who could have told their parents, "Hey, you probably should have divorced a long time ago," right? It's the same, <laughs> right? Because they see it, they hear it, um, and so again, there's there's way more. Um, that I could talk about that, but. It's based, it yeah. might be situational based. Yeah, no, I mean, I love the answer. And I, I knew that was a loaded question. And that's why I prefaced it that way. But I love this, the thought of it. It still always comes back down to the communication, the empathy, the acknowledgement, the, the, the core focus areas that seem to, that we've talked about quite a bit today. Um, Rich, do you have any anything that you want to ask before I we kind of wrap up? Uh, it wasn't an, an ask, but I like that Dwayne mentioned about, um, I don't know how you put it exactly, but the children know more and are sort of more intelligent perhaps and mm-hmm. more present than we think. And I I always try and do that with, with my children. And it, again, I always do this. It sounds like I'm trying to make myself sound like a good parent, but which I'm absolutely not. But I, I do, I do try 
and bring an attitude of trust towards parenting. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm worried, sometimes I go, look, I'm, I'm going to trust my children that they're they're going to do the right thing and that, you know, they know what's right and what's wrong. I mean, mine are a bit older now, so it's, it's different, but even when they were younger, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's problematic when people, number one, when they talk down to children and, and also when they don't trust them. And something that I noticed with uh, my mum and how she was as a, a grandmother, um, she's extremely popular with all the grandchildren and it's because she talks to them as an equal. And I noticed this and I noticed it with my um, niece as well, when she was very little, I always played the stupid, funny uncle, you know, <laughs> kidding around and all this kind of thing. She didn't want to know at all. And as soon as I started, to, she's, she's proper, sharp, you know, smart little thing. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I started talking to her as an equal, then suddenly we, she likes me and we get on much better. So I, I think that's, yeah. <laughs> More uh, parenting tips. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I got plenty of parenting tips, right? I can tell you how to and how not to. Um, yeah, you've got five kids, so you should know what you're doing by now. I, I would tell all parents, um, get a, throw away the swear jar and add the therapy jar, right? So every time you mess your kids up, put money in that therapy jar. <laughs> oh, good. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Oh, uh, I think I think me up. We might all be broke at that, at that point. <laughs> at least me. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I joke around. I tell actually not. It's not really that big of a joke because I'm kind of serious about it. I'm like, yeah. The the things I wanted to do as a parent is to re- reduce the things they'd have to tell their therapist when they got older. <laughs> Just make that list a yeah. little bit shorter than it could have been. It's like. <laughs> Like, but you're coming from my household. You know me and mom. We we gonna say some things that you gonna need therapy about. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let me let me go ahead and uh, just jump up to these wrap up questions, sure. these fun wrap up questions, and then uh, and then we'll we'll close out before then. So, uh, five rapid fire questions. I think I sent them over to you. So, um, can you name one of your favorite accomplishments? that you've had throughout your life and then one current challenge that you might be facing today? Um, accomplishment, um, um, becoming a therapist, honestly. I mean, I could think of some other ones, but becoming a therapist, I, I, the, the, the journey was long. I, I graduated from high school in 1989. I finally got my, finally became the therapist degree in 2021. And I could, I could tell you about all the stuff in between there that happened, all the ups and downs. But yeah, that, that's, that accomplishment is, I, I hang it on the wall. That's one of those things I will, that degree sits there and I look at it and I'm like, mm, yes, that took some work. Um, it's great. <laughs> and that's really inspiring for me because I, I'm 47 now and I'm still training and it feels like a long road. And yeah. so. Yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing that. That, that is that's pretty inspiring. At current challenge, um, it's probably going to be school again. Right? I decided I'm going to do it again. I don't know. Well, that's probably the current challenge, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, all right, how about do you focus on uh, self care, and if so, what do you? What is one of your favorite activities? Favorite activity is softball. I play softball um, during the non-winter months. Um, somewhere between one to four nights a week. 
Um, and, uh, and if I'm not doing softball, I've learned to literally YouTube my way into building things. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Like basements. <laughs> like basements and sheds and <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, what is something that you've learned about yourself recently? Um, recently, um, man, I, if people hear this, I'm going to get a whole lot of blowback. Um, I love doing research. <laughs> uh, but if it's got to be a topic I'm interested in, because I hated research when I was in school. But now I'm like, ooh, I love this. Let me research that. So um, mm. just don't tell anybody. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those that doesn't like research also, but um, I, I don't mind reading research right. if it's topics that I'm interested in. Uh, but I'm glad to hear that you are finding a love for it considering you're going into your PhD. Yes. So that's perfect time. <laughs> that's kind of yeah. what sealed the deal. I'm like, oh, do I like, I did like, and then I was, yeah. I get to do, I get to pick the research I'm doing. So there's that. <laughs> that's great. Um, all right. Question four is, um, do you have a, a favorite mental health resource book, uh, person that talks about mental health podcast app, any, anything that you've, that you found that's helpful for you? Um, <laughs> I've thought about this question over and over again. Um, <laughs> the resource that I don't think other people have, right. Um, is my colleagues. Um, and when we get to once a week or however often we do it now, we get to sit around and just chat. Um, and, and I've done that throughout my career is sitting down with other therapists and talking about what's going on. I know that people don't have access to that. Um, um, but then there's books that I have that are specifically for whatever the challenge is. And so like, I don't think it's, it's exciting to tell people one of my favorite books is how to get past the affair, <laughs> but it is one of my favorite books when we're dealing with that particular issue. Um, so, so I've thought about who, what am I going to share? Um, so yeah, there, there are certain, but it's colleagues of mine that have just been the best. What is it about that book that you particularly like? Um, well, it, the, the underlying part of that title is together or apart. Um, and I don't know if you've, if, if you've seen, if you're, if you guys had that book, um, what to expect when you're expecting, um, I've heard of it. yeah, yeah, heard yeah. Of it. it's, this is that book for affairs, right? It takes you through steps of, Hey, you can expect to experience this. You can do this. You can do that. It tells you, and, and it's been spot on. It's been spot on when you're one day you're feeling fine and now you're raged with anger. It, it just takes you through all the different steps. And it's helpful for both the person who had the affair and the one who was the victim of the affair on that. And, mm. and it doesn't require them to be together afterwards. It's just a help book for both okay. of them. Yeah. Good. I thought you were going to tell me it was a guide about how to have an affair, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit lost at the beginning. <laughs> yes, yes. Here, let me pull that out for you. <laughs> I'm thinking of having an affair. Oh, right. I've, I've got this book you can read before you. That would you know, be hilarious. thinking of getting married. I'll have some therapy first and see what you're going to do. <laughs> hey, I, I, I need to keep my clients coming in, right? So go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then come see me. Job security. 
All right, Dwayne, last question and most random. Uh, if you had a spirit animal, what would it be and why? Um, <laughs> the, um, okay, I'll just, it's, it's a panther. Matter of fact, it's a black panther. <laughs> and it's such a longer version of this, but for a long time, I worked in a residential treatment uh, place and um, multiple ones, but I worked in one with, it was a, residential for girls, um, adolescent girls, 12 to 18. And there was one particular girl in there who, if I'm being honest, I did not like. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I struggled, struggled, struggled with her um, when we first got uh, first started working together. Um, and then that was where I changed how I approached therapy. Um, what is going for, I've learned what is really going on for her that causes her to be the way she is. Um, and really spent time, more time with her, got, got to know her and we became really, really close. And on my, it's on my desk downstairs. One of the gifts she gave me was this black Panther <laughs> little thing. And so, and so she just calls me this, this, this Panther. Um, and, um, and so that, that, reminds me um actually yeah, let me just tell the rest of the story really quick <laughs> when, she was, when she was getting ready to when we were in the middle of really not necessarily getting along um and that program was somewhere between eight to 12 months for the girls and they what they call transition um they they go through the phases and they transition out of out of the residential and and she says um um, we're talking about horses. She loves horses. And I'm like, hey, I'm not getting on any of these horses. We had horses in our facility. And she says, so when I transition, will you get on the horse? And I'm like, yeah, because you're never transitioning. Okay. 12 months later, <laughs> we've been through that. We're really, really close. Everything. We're just super close. And I'm speaking at her transition, right? So we're in the house. Her family's there. They're getting ready to leave. And I'm talking about our experiences. We're both in tears, families in tears, everybody else in tears because it's really great talk. She said, stop, everybody out to the stables. Dwayne has to get on that horse. Wow. <laughs> so, I'm like, how do you remember that? Because I have a fear, I have a fear of horses. I still have a fear of horses. But, um, and the part that was really, really cool, we go out to the stable and of course she picks the, the old horse that's not going to take off and everything else. But I get on the horse and she leads me around the ring, um, right? And I think about that, that she got to lead me. And that's, and as a therapist, I think about her all the time um, that she got to lead me. So that panther represents all of those things. And she happens to be in grad school right now to becoming a therapist. <laughs> so that's such a cool story. It's, yeah. it's genuinely made like a shiver down my spine in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Black Panther, I, I can't choose another one because that represents all of those things. <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, uh, thanks for coming on and it's, it's awesome to meet you. Um, it was, it was great to talk to you. I have a, a million other questions that I could ask. So maybe that means I would love to have you on again some other time. Hey, let me um, know. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this was, this was fun. Yeah, it's re really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. And definitely, if you do, if you could come back on at some point, you could be our resident uh, family therapist expert. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Say the word. Say the word. 
Yeah. I, I, I might change my mind after school starts next week, but <laughs> we can wait till you're done for sure. Um, any, anything that you wanted to add or that we left out before we officially end? No, I, I, it's, it's, um, no, my, my simple answer is no, because, um, I tell my clients all the time, I can't always wrap things up in a pretty bow, so I don't try. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to use that. Right, I'm using that every week now. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Love it. All right.